Hello and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here for one of the final episodes of our regular show this year. We're going to go on a hiatus for the off season, but we'll be back in January to talk about Tour Down Under, Cadell Evans, Great Ocean Road Race, which Matt will be at, TDU at least. So that's exciting. Yep. Can't wait. I, uh, I wrote in my newsletter last week that I got really excited seeing the, the Aussie World Tour races on the top of the next races on the calendar list. Uh, I know they're months away, but I love them and I can't wait. So, yep, can't wait to talk about those races when they roll around. And nationals as well, hopefully. Hopefully there's stuff to talk about there too. So, Matt Matt is Hi. here. Grace Yelvin is also with us. Hey, hey. <laughs> Good to be here. Two against one today. Yeah, yeah it's true. It always is, though. Maybe two, three Lauren against one. Might be, <laughs> she might be living in Belgium, but you can, you can take the Aussie out of, the, out of Australia, but she's still there yep she's very Aussie are you gonna try to get to TDU do you think Gracie yep I've got my tickets already I'm booked in I'm gonna be working man I'm so jealous I wish I could join you guys it's too far away (laughs) a friend of mine texted me to ask if I was keen to do the uh TIFF Scrabble event and I was like pretty interested Mm. I think that's going to be super fun so I think it's replacing the people's choice ride which was kind of like a grand fondo type thing so I'm sure that they've done some very good networking to make an even bigger and better event Mm. for all the punters so I reckon that'll be a pretty cool one for a lot of people you should definitely take them up on it because those two know how to throw an event the Finland gravel was really incredible just the whole event everything around it was really cool all the extra things that they did to make it special and it was very like finish so i'm curious what kind of aussie things they're gonna bring to the to the rattle event like they, they're good at leaning into themes so i reckon it's going to be a good aussie twist mm-hmm. on it so yeah it's going to be good <laughs> for sure <laughs> tim's good at throwing a party <laughs> we are here to hand out some end of the year awards before we dive into that this episode is brought to you by the members of the escape collective you can join escape collective on a couple different tiers depending on what you are interested in Pick one that only gives you access to the site and all of the great content that we're making over there. You can also join our Discord, which is full of our members and some awesome conversations, everything from music to, I mean, the Wheel Talk channel was all about uh, books for a while there, which was a great joy to me. So tons of cool stuff going on with the Escape Collective. Check it out at escapecollective.com slash join. Let's bang through some transfers super quick. So we had another Yumbo rider jump ship and sign for a new team halfway through a contract, and that's Amber Crap Crack, Crack Amber Crack for FDJ Suez, which is a great get for them and a great loss for Yumbo Visma. Uh, I'm curious to see how that move works for for her, but she's just an incredible talent. Um, she had a couple really great rides this year, so yeah, that'll be a good move. Yep, agreed. Ruth Winder returns to racing along with uh, a couple riders going to Human Powered Health. Romy Casper and Mail Grossetet and Christabel Hobodobel Hickok will also return to the team. So Human Powered Health continues to kind of bolster their roster and add more European talent. But Ruth coming back is going to be a huge, huge deal for that team. I don't know what her goals are as far as like traveling to Europe and racing in Europe and stuff, but she seems like she's got a new passion for the sport and, uh, after coming off of two years of retirement. So 
that's definitely some interesting news. How do you think she'll fit in at that at that team? I don't know. I think it's a I think it's an interesting one. I think that she's definitely going to bring a lot of experience and leadership to the team because whatever environment Ruth goes into she's she's a leader and she will be able to direct the team in a way that I think will help them harness the talent that they have and actually translate it into results so I'm curious how it'll work but but I also don't know how what the two years off have have done for her mentally like if she's Mm. still if she has found like a little bit more fun in racing, then that will change how she approaches her role on the team and stuff like that. So I think it's really a toss up. Yeah. I think she's given herself a really great gift of those two years. So I reckon she's grown heaps as a person. And I think she would have learned a lot as well from those years with Trek. And I think it's great that she's not going back to Trek. (laughs) Not that I have anything against Trek. We rave about them all the time, but it just wasn't quite the right environment for her. So I think that this new setup is going to be pretty, pretty good for her, I think. Yeah, definitely. And that team's evolved so much since she was on it. It's like a completely different team at this point, even though there's only there's a couple riders that were on it when she was on it. But the general vibe of the team is really different in in two years. So I don't think it would have been the right fit to go back at all. Uh, And I don't think there's any other team really that sounds like a good fit for her. Even EF would be. I think a little bit all too all like like all over the shop for her and coming onto a team that's already established and has great riders and has a goal but hasn't been able to like really direct itself towards that goal yet it gives her a challenge and it gives them a lot of experience so it's it's a good fit and Georgia Bronzini is going to be the DS over there um they announced and Ruth's worked with her on Trek's early in Trek's early years. So that'll be another, yeah, reason why she went there for sure. Jaco Alula or Liv Alula, they're now called or will be called. We'll figure it out next year. Yeah, they'll be Liv Alula Jaco, I believe. Oh, interesting. Okay. (laughs) Just to really fuck with you at the start of the season. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Commentary is going to be great. At least two months to get a hang up. (laughs) Maybe by Strata. They released their final roster and we've, we've gone through a couple of their riders already, but they, they kept a bunch of their key riders in Ruby Roseman Gannon, Tennille Campbell, um, Georgie Howe, uh, Amber Pate, Georgia Baker, Alex Manley, yeah. Georgia Baker. So they've Baker. got a bunch of their key riders from the last two seasons, and they've kept them along with a, a handful of new riders from the merger of Liv TechFind and and their original team. So I'm curious how that team will go with with all of that. I mean, I think it'll be fine. It's a team that's gone through such a massive change over the last like five years anyway. Didn't they announce too that they're setting up a uh, development team yeah. as well? They did. They did. Yeah. I'm not sure that they've announced the the details of the roster mm-hmm. or how that is going to look for now, but I am I am excited to see how that plays out. There's a a, a ton of teams now with development teams and I just love it. Mm. It's great. Even though UAE's development team could just be another team. <laughs> Seeing as they're pretty high in the rankings. <laughs> Olivia Barrel, the Canadian who's been on UAE for a couple years, signed for Movistar. And then DSM picked up three new riders for next year in Abby Smith from EF, one of the EF riders that um, didn't remain with the the new team. Josie Nelson and Rochelle uh, Barbieri will be riding for DSM next year. 
So a couple new names overall, same team. And I'm sure I miss them. Should we chat real quick about the TDF route? Um, the ASO announced the Tour de France Femme of Zwift route for 2024 next year. And we knew that there was going to be a couple days in the Netherlands. But with the official route announcement, we found out that there are two stages, three stages in the Netherlands a stage in Belgium and a stage that starts in Belgium and goes into France. So it's not until the fifth stage that we go into France. And I know that there's a there's some mixed uh, emotions when it comes to that because it's the Tour de France, but it is also the year of the Olympic Games in Paris, which really throws a wrench in, in the Tour de France Femme. Um, it's already caused the race to move to later in the calendar to t- the 12th to the 18th of August, but it also takes up a ton of resources from the country of France. So when it came to hosting the, the Tour de France Femme, um, I think it's actually a good thing that it's starting in the Netherlands. Like I, I really don't have a problem with it. And the fact that a good chunk of the race is outside of France, when you look at the riders that have absolutely crushed the 2023 season to have the race go have a significant amount of time in the Netherlands and a stage in Belgium with like Demi and Lada Kopecky, the world champion to have them have it in their on home soil. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Like that doesn't happen all that often. So I'm actually quite excited. I think the crowds are going to be completely insane. Yep, agreed. I think that this is a really great um, pivot for a tricky season all round. Um, and like you said, Abby, it's just going to be completely wild in the Netherlands. Like they've got the star power and they've got, of course, the heritage and it's such a massive sport there. Like regardless of whether Anemiek or Demi had won the last two years or not, they would have come out in force. So it's going to be good for the sport, really. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I enjoy the fact that it's most of the way through stage five that the race enters France. I think that's just funny. But yeah, for all the reasons that you guys have said, it's I don't think it's really going to affect the race except in a positive way. And in terms of the route itself, uh, two really big climbing days to finish with, two mountaintop finishes, um, the last of those being Alpe d'Huez. That's, that's pretty incredible. Um, there was talk of it being on Alpe d'Huez uh, next year and that's been confirmed now and... Yeah, I think that's that's a great thing. We had the Tourmalet this year, and you know, get those uh, get those iconic summits in there. I reckon it's going to be awesome to watch. Yeah, I love that they've got another iconic one in there. I think the only maybe the only disappointment for me is that the TT is only six kilometers long. Um, they they had to navigate a double day for that stage, so we've got a road race in the morning and a TT in the evening. So it was never going to be a really long TT. But it's, it is kind of like, it does feel a little bit like a throwaway stage. That being said, we're coming off of the Olympics. I don't know how many track riders are going to be able to start the tour. It starts like a day after the track events. And I'm pretty sure Lota Kopecky's already said that she's targeting the Olympics and has not really given much thought to racing the Tour de France Femme yet next year. I'm sure that that's not entirely true with two stages uh, starting in Belgium, but... I think for for that TT stage, I'd be a lot more excited if I knew that there was a handful of track riders that were going to be at the event because 
it's it's a very track friendly TT, and we know a ton of riders that are on the track that it would have been cool to see them contest that stage. But if, for like as far as playing into the GC, six kilometers isn't going to be a massive day for for the general classification, other than just kind of the jersey changing hands. But I feel like overall the the stages and the profiles of the stages really remind me of the first year of the tour. Mm. And that was something that they did so well in that first year was have the course like build on itself day after day. So I think they've done a great job with what they had on hand. And yeah, Alpatuaz is going to be wild. I just hope we get massive crowds up there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, I reckon mm. we will, but yeah, tricky time of year. I th- should be still school holidays, summer holidays, but I, I can't remember the dates. Um, I was going to say something and I forgot. Oh, yeah, I, I spare a thought for the double day. Abby, I'm sure you've raced a double day before. It sucks. I hate it's double really days. Awful. I'm so glad I'm not racing that. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's really awful. Yeah, double like, days I, are just. I feel like that's such a, an amateur tour thing to do. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to see a double day there. I I get why they've done it, but it's still like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they're really awful. I mean, your body just like cannot get itself wrapped around the idea of two races in one day but it's also it'll be interesting in terms of the live coverage how that's going to work with a double day because obviously the reason that the stages are so late is to try to tap into the u.s audience and um so what is the the morning road race going to do like how late are they going to try to push it because they can't push it too late um there needs to be time in between the two, but it still can't be like super early in the morning. It's going to be such a weird, such a weird day that day. <laughs> I just don't even know. It's going to be weird for us too. Yeah. Full day of work. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I think overall, like I saw a lot of backlash for the race being outside of France, but there are some things that we just can't control. And the fact that the Olympics is smack in the middle of the summer when the race would normally be going on means that we have to be a little bit of a little bit flexible and you know what by the time we get to the tour de france femme in 2024 i think we'll be a little bit sick of france so (laughs) totally fine with it not being not being there's a world in which uh in the past if uh the olympics and the women's tour had clashed then the women's tour just wouldn't have happened at all i feel like so in some ways, uh, it's it's kind point. of like, yeah, this isn't ideal, but uh, not that we should be happy that it's happening at all, but I, I don't know, it is interesting context, maybe. You're right. At least we, at least it's still happening, and they mm. didn't cancel it because of the Olympics. It's very true. I thought we'd hand out some end-of-the-year awards. Um, I like looking back on the year and thinking about some of the best moments and the best riders and stuff, so I figured we could, yeah, have a little chat about that. What do you guys think? Sounds yeah. great. Okay, best finish of the year. Who wants to go first? It's a good one. I can start. I've got. I feel like I've got the same answer for some of them, so I'm trying to mix it up. But you go first. Matt. I've got a couple. Um, I think an honorary mention to Tour of Scandinavia, the last stage of that, with Van Vluten being 17 seconds up, and then uh, Cecily winning the last stage and getting to within two seconds in the driving rain. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that was a good stage. You're right. The final stage of the Welter as well, with Van Vluten having to fight super hard on that last climb to after being dropped to try and hold on for the win, which she did, but it was close. 
Um, and Peru Bay as well, I thought was very good. Um, you know, the will, will yeah. the break be caught? You know, will the the chasers actually get their act together? Uh, and then coming down to a sprint. Um, yeah, that was a pretty exciting finish, I thought. Yeah, I, I also had Perry Roubaix. That was, for me, one of the best races I've ever seen in my life. I feel like one of the most worthy winners as well, um, especially Perry Roubaix. Like, had Allison Jackson won just any old race, it would still be awesome to see her win. But for her to win Perry Roubaix is something that, well, she'll be making TikToks about that until the end of time. <laughs> so I I feel like, yeah, the, the Paris-Roubaix finish was just phenomenal. phenomenal, And um, it, I think it's one that is going to stick in my memory for a really long time. I, I also had Worlds, the Worlds road race, because while it was the f- winner that we all knew was going to win, the way that she got there was just such a wild feat of strength. And determination and tactical genius and i feel like just everything everything that bike racing is uh lot of winning worlds is definitely for me one of the best finishes of the year i think i said at the time that it was about as exciting a finish as we could have hoped for knowing that we knew who was going to win if that makes sense like it, even though mm-hmm. the expected winner won it was still a fantastic race to watch so yeah i like that call gracie what do you got i completely agree with all your answers and alison jackson will be my answer for many of these <laughs> awards <laughs> but i'll i'll try and spice it up a little bit uh i loved um the finish of strada bianca because it was a bit controversial uh it really set up the narrative for the season and i thought that was a great way to start the season it was a bit of a will they won't they um, with Kopecky and Vollering, and they're just so such exceptional athletes. It's just like, yeah, it's cool to watch them anyway. Whether it was true or not that they um, that they had a little bit of a thing between the two of them where they, they didn't get along, it definitely added a little bit more to the discussion of SU Works because had we not had any, like, more drama or anything going on with the team it would have just been like su works domination like across the board but it definitely that finish added so much to the beginning of the year of like oh if they're both on the start list for flanders does that mean like (laughs) (laughs) whether it was true or not it was it was a fun thing to speculate about (laughs) my other one was yara castellan at the stage four of the Tour de France farm, I think that they just fought for that for days before that happened and for that Phoenix to Koenig team to pull it off. It was great and it was exciting and it was a bit of a nail-biter at the end. So I, I thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That was such a good stage and such a good win. And then for Volering to to post up like she'd won just in case she had for the photo. Um, (laughs) Never a dull moment. But I did think that like almost every stage of this year's Tour de France farm was good. The finish was really good. So yeah, honorable mention to the whole race. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It was a race that really like threw out the, the rule book of how, how the race was supposed to go. Um, Like Emma's stage win as well was phenomenal. Mm. Um, but you're right. Yara Castellan's win on that really, really long day with that climb at the end that was way harder than I think anybody expected. Um, 
was a highlight of the race overall, I feel. Tactical genius. For me, I thought one of the most tactical genius moments of the entire season was the stage of the Vuelta, where Movistar <laughs> <laughs> went for it in the crosswinds and uh, Van Vluten got away, taking the red jersey from Demi Vollering. The stage was won by Guy Riolini, and Vollering lost the race overall. She wasn't able to reclaim it um, due to a P-stop, <laughs> and that was the tactical genius because while you may be shaking your head, Abby, tactical genius, isn't taking advantage of the race leader taking a P. Actually, Movistar had planned it months in advance, and... That was just such a crazy moment. <laughs> that, that was my tactical genius <laughs> pick. I had the same thing written down. Uh, maybe start the Volta, comma, taking advantage of Vollering's pee break, question mark. I almost thought it, wrote it down as a bit of a joke, but uh, yeah, given it was planned so far in advance, but it, it was the moment that stood out in regards to uh, tactics for the season, I thought. We've got Lauren Rowney here with us now. Lauren, hello. Hello. We didn't factor in the time zone change. Oh, yeah, because daylight savings. Yeah, yeah. So it's 12 o'clock. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I was like, oh, um, did I get it wrong? And I was like, oh, the <laughs> goddamn time zone changes. <laughs> Which is where I am, and I did factor that in. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> We're into our end-of-the-year podcast awards, Lauren, but we've only done – We've only done best finish and we were just starting Tactical Genius. So do you have a best finish that you want to mention? So I guess Castelline was a big one for me just because of how uh, Alpus Alpus and Phoenix, Phoenix de Kunic were racing. Um, But being patriotic now and because I'm marrying a Belgian on Friday, for me, the best finish was just finally Lotta Kopecky getting those rainbow stripes. Yeah. It was a brilliant race and just a great finish there. So I put her down for that, the world's finish. Also, we talked yeah. about that the tour is going to be in Belgium next year, which I know you're excited about. Very excited. Yeah. <laughs> I think I said everything's within three hours driving distance for me or a few train trips. So at least like half of the Tour de France, which is very cool. Tactical genius. Gracie, what you got? Gracie's audio had a little bit of a moment uh, at this point in the recording, but she chose Alison Jackson's interview before Paris-Roubaix Femme of Exwift, where she clearly planned out exactly how she could win the race and then executed it to perfection. So Gracie's pick for tactical genius of the year goes to Alison Jackson on planning how to get ahead of ST Works to win Paris-Roubaix Femme. Yeah, that was really impressive that she she called her own win. So I, I definitely added to the genius of of the the tactics there. Lauren, what do you got? Tactical genius. I was really like, oh, s- stuck on this one. I don't know why, but I was trying to think back to maybe I was getting too overcomplicated with it. But I do recall a conversation, and I don't know if it was wrong, but um didn't we think that trex tactics at trophia binder were on point oh yeah when, when Shireen Shireen won. won yeah that was a good race that was a really so for me race. that was like in terms of team tactics um they always seem to race really well there and pull together for that race and then after the season they had after that basically i thought um the way that they just raced there was brilliant yeah that was before their season really took a 
took a nosedive. A dive. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. MVP. Is this like basketball MVP where it's like <laughs> the, the person who like not only like say performs really well but contributes to the team efforts, right? And them. Yeah. I would say yes, wins, right? but I intentionally yeah. didn't give any direction into which way you could take these awards because there's one coming up later that you could take in many different directions and I mm. purposefully did not clarify the for way, the fun of it. The way I interpreted this one because right. we've got a writer of the year category I interpreted MVP as uh, outside of that mm. so I I mean I wrote outside of Volering Kopecky I, I thought Marlon Russo was probably the MVP of the season I just thought her work mm. as a domes- domestique mm. uh, was incredible. And then her ability to to f- switch gears and then win races as well. Uh, you know, winning again, Wevelgum solo and then a stage in the overall it's at Itzulia, Tour de Swiss winning the overall and a time trial there. And then obviously the time trial at the Tour as well. Um, yeah, just a, f- a very few riders in the World Tour, I think, that were as valuable as her. Um in terms of contribution to the team, not only winning, but to her teammates. Yep. Yeah, that's no, a good shout. In in the interest of um, throwing multiple riders into this category, I also put down Liana Lippert. Mm. I think she she was super valuable this year to Movistar, and that change for her would have been a huge change going from a Dutch team to a, to a Spanish team. Um, and I think she had an awesome year and is only going to get better. But she was super valuable to to Anamik uh, all season long while also be able being able to get her own results scattered throughout um obviously a tourist stage, but some other some other results as well all year long. So I feel like um I agree that Rooster's the the obvious pick for this one, but Leona Lippert it was also really key. Team of the year. I I thought this was gonna be. I'm curious. This will be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lauren, what do you? What did you put? Well, in terms of team of the year, results wise, I mean, there's one team, right? Mm. SD Works. Mm -hmm. So they would win the team prize. But for me, in terms of team of the year, who brought um, a lot of excitement and energy to the racing. Um, and a team that we've criticized a lot before was Canyon Shram. Mm-hmm. I also so wrote I down think, Canyon Shram. Yeah, because I'm just excited about next year for them. Yeah. Um, but then on, and I also had sort of tied or just a little bit below was Phoenix de Kunik. Yeah, they they had an incredible year. Um, I feel like Canyon Shram, given how much they have struggled the last couple years, how poorly they started out in the beginning of this year and then the turnaround that they had and the rest of the season that they had for me they're the team of the year um because it just feels like a cop-out to pick as she works since they're obviously <laughs> the best team in the peloton um but you gotta have a little bit more fun with it than that so yeah canyon stream they were just incredible this year and i feel like they're for me they're the team that is going to rival sd works next year if they can keep keep it going keep the ball rolling i just wanted to add a quick punctuation mark to that i i agree i had the same thing sd works but then also kenyon shram is the most exciting but uh yeah just to to highlight sd works uh 61 wins for the year um which is (laughs) massive when you look at the last 10 years of the women's peloton 
Uh, next best is Movistar mm. with 20. They had a really good finish to the year. And then there's a cluster of teams between 10 and 20 wins for the year. And Canyon Tram had seven. So the huge gaps between SD Works and everybody else. Um, yeah, so, so dominant. But as you guys have said, uh, Canyon Tram did a lot of work in making the ra- racing exciting and very bright future for them. Interesting that none of us said Movistar. I wonder if it's partially because a lot of their wins were from the same person. And so it doesn't factor into the team discussion as much, even though it is a team effort, obviously. Um, but when it's mostly one person winning, whereas Canyon Stram, obviously their major wins all came from different riders. So it's mm. more of a all round picture of the team. Yeah. Yeah, great that's right. And movie start did have some really great races where they showed they were racing well as a team, but for mm-hmm. some reason, like you said, they didn't stand out when it came to this. Obviously, SD Works just pops into mind because of the amount of races they won, but uh, the team aspect, um, I just thought it was, yeah, we've already said it, really great to see Canyon pull it all together this year. Gracie, did you have anyone else? Not really. I was thinking of Movistar, but they're not like, they don't jump to mind as the best team of the year. They're definitely like on the podium. <laughs> but um, I, I've i really enjoyed them growing as a team. So I guess that'll be my answer later on of <laughs> something to look forward to for next year. Rider of the year. I don't know how you could interpret this any other way than Demi Boring. <laughs> Yeah, I I would say Kopecky. Of- I would definitely put Kopecky in there. I don't know why. I think she's just more versatile. It's true. From from the very start to the very end, Kopecky was winning races, but I think that Volering really proved this year that she is like of a different breed. <laughs> um in, yeah, I think she's got a little bit of I, I'm, growing up to do sounds harsh, but I think that she's got. She's she's still super green in terms of her time in the sport. Um, so I think she's only gonna get better. But the but this year, man, she really stepped it up and she took all the pressure on her and she harnessed it and she won a lot of races. But I feel like winning the tour uh really, yeah, kind of tops it off. It's like yeah, but I agree. I guess Kapeki, she, her ride of the tour and her ride at Worlds, and then also winning earlier in the year does definitely. Yeah, there's not a lot between those two, even though they're different mm. riders. I think it also depends what you value success is in cycling because so many events are so different. You know, does Worlds trump Tour de France or is Tour de France mm. a pinnacle? So, do you need to be a good climber to be the best rider in the world or do you need to be the best Mm all-rounder? So I don't think that there's a correct answer to that. It's just what you personally believe. And, of course, there's bias that comes into that. So I'm sure if you were really into climbing, Abby, you might value Demi more and Lauren and I probably value all-rounders more. Yeah, I think so. And also just going back to Gracie's point about Lotter at the Tour de France, just to get on the podium and then be able to win a race like Flanders, be able to take out a sprint, it's just she really is the epitome of the all-rounder. As a counterpoint to that, uh, 
I'd say Vollering is a very, very strong all-rounder as well. She won five one-day races this year, as well as three tours. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you could pick either of those two rides, and I think that would be the right answer. I think either of them has had an incredible year and either could be a, a worthy winner of that prize. Um, but I think Grace is right. It comes down to what you value more. Is, is the, winning the tour worth more than winning worlds i don't know i don't know what the answer to that is i think i don't think we need to answer that really I think you also have you also have to factor in how the way in which she won the tour which was just mm. like she was out for just an easy ride <laughs> up the tourmalet just like <laughs> um i think that that also because yeah well you can win a race the way that demi won the tour was like child's play and for anyone that that cares uh volering won 17 races this year and kapeki won 14 so if that if that factors into your calculations uh, they're the numbers well the numbers don't yeah. lie <laughs> oh, yeah. all that matters <laughs> uh, they're both yeah. amazing they really are yeah and they're on the same <laughs> team so everyone else <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> All right, craziest craziest moment of the year. One of which that I had was um was actually featuring these two. The finish of Strada mm-hmm. I thought was one of the craziest moments of the year. Um but for me I think the the craziest moment of the year year was when Marlon Russo DNF'd TTT ITT Worlds. That was wild. I had I had that as the craziest. I had 3. So that was pretty like just sitting behind the TV going, what is actually happening right now? Am I watching this? And then the horse chasing Demi <laughs> oh, yeah. in Strata That's forgot right. about that. <laughs> was nuts. Oh, so yeah. I had that down. And then <laughs> after that crazy horse thing that happened, the the battle between Demi and, and Lotta, which we thought, oh, my God, like, is this going to set up this, this feud between these two riders for the rest of the season? Hmm which will actually be a nice segue later into my wholesome moment. Um, <laughs> but those three were my, like, crazy moments. And I'm, I'm sure there were other crazy moments, but they really stood out for me. Yeah, I think the pee break at the Vuelta, that was crazy as well in the moment. Um, it, this mm. wasn't as crazy, but the whole uh, Vollering getting docked 20 seconds at the Tour for drafting on the team car and then Danny Stam getting kicked out of the race was pretty wild in the moment. Oh, yeah. It didn't affect anything overall, but it was pretty crazy on the day. Um, and a smaller one, um, Gaia Riolini beating Van Vluten in that sprint at the Vuelta as well. Even though she sat on for that whole time, mm. I think no one would have picked <laughs> Riolini to win that sprint. <laughs> Oh, some good moments what in there. What a crazy season we had this year. I'm also going to say Alison Jackson again winning Perry Repaid. Yes. Yes. How did we get that? <laughs> I would also, say that. On a, ne- on a negative note, the coverage of Gravel Worlds. Please refer to two episodes earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put that into biggest disappointment as well <laughs> yeah i definitely had had um the next category of biggest disappointment i said gravel worlds not having coverage of gravel worlds i feel like whether or not kasha would have won that race it would have been disappointing not to have the the live coverage but the fact that kasha finally won a race and we didn't get to watch it makes that just a solid no contest biggest disappointment for me for a rider, I thought biggest disappointment just because there was something in the news here in Belgium 
um, yesterday. I don't know. Annemiek van Vluten did an interview about what happened with the pee break hmm. um, at the Volta and just how disappointed Demi was. I think in terms of all the races, that was probably her biggest disappointment for the year because she would have taken that tour in our eyes. Um, so, yeah, I had that and Gravel Worlds. I think maybe on in that kind of uh, vein, Annemiek not winning the Tour de France in her final year was probably mm. a pretty, pretty big disappointment to her and to Movistar. Um, not a disappointment, I feel like, to the viewers because it definitely made for a exciting race the way that we had it. But, yeah, maybe Annemiek not being on the best form um, for that Tourmalet stage is potentially a big disappointment for the season. My partner yeah, had one was... as well. Oh. <laughs> um, it was uh, for Julie, Julie Wilder or oh, Julie, Julie De Wilder um, at the Tour de France. Mm. Just yeah. getting caught on the line. That was his biggest disappointment. It's a good one. I think it's because she's Belgian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote down... Uh, uh, Antonia Niedermeyer crashing out the day after winning a stage of the Giro. That was a real shame. Mm. She was up in second oh, overall. Elisa, too. Yep. Yes, because that battle between Elisa, I think, and Annemiek would have been interesting, or at least the, the duo mm. on Trek against Annemiek. So that was disappointing for the race, in a sense. Second place was cursed at the Giro for a little while there. Mm. It's a cursed place to be. Moving on. Worst luck. I feel like you could tie these segue, two actually. together in a bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> because the worst luck of the year was definitely trek segafredo or little trek trek segafredo yes. slash little trek just the whole package man they had, I had that they had a bad year yeah and to be specific i my heart goes out to taylor wiles for having that very risky and uh long recovery surgery year the year previously and finding out that it had not really worked and mm. for her to have to finish not just her season but her career early prematurely I, I was uh heartbroken for her mm-hmm. mm. can i just add um sarah roy to the list as well covid fractured sacrum mr classics that huge splinter in that track crash that took two goes to get out um a nasty crash at the glasgow worlds that we all saw and and hated uh, then crashing out of her final race of the year as well. I'm sure there are other rides that had a similarly cursed year, but um, she was definitely one that popped to mind for me. When you add it all up like that, it definitely doesn't sound like a year that you'd want to no. have. <laughs> no good. <laughs> no. So this is the one that I intentionally did not clarify. Rookie, the rookie award. <laughs> you could take this in many I different ways. Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting to see um, which direction people took this in, whether it was like the best rookie of the year or the rookie moment of the year or something along those lines. Um, I have an answer for both, but I will open the floor to you three and see what you said. Mm, Well, my answer for both would be rookie moment, (laughs) P-stop. Easy. (laughs) Yes, yes. Rookie, best rookie of the year. Um, uh, I would say Bredewald. I also want to say Van Anroy, but I don't feel like she's a rookie anymore, even though mm. she's still super young. I think Bredewald was kind of like the little surprise packet 
at the end of this season. So, yeah, she's got some good things coming. I had her down for MVP as like a backup to to Royster because she was part of a lot of their huge wins and also mm. took a couple big wins of her own, obviously, European Championship um, being the biggest one. But I think that she... Um, She's a rider who, like, I forgot that this was her first year on SC Works because she's so seamlessly integrated into the team. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Although I did say Guy Riolini. Um, I'm stealing that from Matt because I know that that's his answer. Damn it. Maybe <laughs> do it. <laughs> yep, she's a star. Uh. Did you want me to add to that? Sorry, was that, was that, was, your was that, that? my cue? Was it? Um, yeah, I yeah. guy really as <laughs> the, the highest ranked um, first tour, first year world tour rider, um, I believe, of this season. Uh, stage win, the third overall, the welter, third overall, the Giro, stage of the Tour de Lavinia. Um, but yeah, just more than that, just an excellent climber who was right up, right up amongst it with the very best in the world, and uh, she's got a very big future ahead of her for sure. I had guy as well. Oh, nice. Based on Matt's logic. Um, but I also had, I was looking at first year world tour riders. Um, and then, yeah, for me as well, Gracie Sharin was like, she had an incredible season. But again, she feels like she's been there a while, even though it's only been, I think, two years world tour. But I put, uh, again, a Canyon Shram rider, Ricarda Bowenfind down mm-hmm. had yeah. some really good rookies this year yeah 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 she was just brilliant i mean she came from the canyon shram generation team and um and just really stepped it up this year and that tour win that she had was just incredible phenomenal um which kind of what about uh, rookie moment there's rookie nothing moment is the like... p-stop is like come on <laughs> yeah fair enough when you think about it more yes that like they knew that the crosswind section was coming up and in this article i don't know if you guys read it but anamique laughed at the moment when uh demi was in tears after the race she has nothing against demi but she was laughing at it going come on like you should know better like if there is a crosswind section coming up and everyone's getting prepared for it why would you stop yeah and the fact that the response from the sc works camp after that was to try to spin the narrative um mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like come on like like you you messed up just like you lose points for team of the year <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i feel like talking about ricardo bauer and fine leads really well into the next one which is the most wholesome moment um because the her win the tour stage win for that team um with everyone's eyes on on Kasha for the tour and for Ricardo to take that win, the Canyon Tram team was just like a whole mess of excitement after that. And mm. um, Matt wrote a really good piece about it on on EscapeCollective.com, but that was a pretty wholesome moment for, for the year. Uh, I was going to add to that. Also at the tour, the Phoenix to Cunic win, I had the fortune of being mm. at the bus when all the riders came back after their stage win, and that was so lovely just seeing all the riders congratulate each, each other and all the directors and team staff and uh being there from the moment that the celebration started and then for probably half an hour afterwards it was it got a real sense of how much it all meant and particularly after the few days they'd had trying to get that win 
to finally get it was incredibly wholesome. Yeah. And when she went and hugged her dad and her mom and they're all crying, mm. that mm. got me. Yeah. Oh. My my wholesome moment is actually also a Tour de France moment. These ones are better. But uh, going back to the start of the season with Strada Bianchi, Demi and Lotta, the the images and the motions between the two of them after the tourmaline, everything was almost done. And also after the time trial, it was like, I don't know, anything that the, was there before. I know they're teammates, but I also think there is that uh, – <laughs> competitiveness against one another in particularly the classic style races um which is difficult when you are teammates uh, i love mm. that and it seemed genuine as well uh, just to riff mm. off that there was a lovely video from i think it was after kopecky's stage one victory where she was doing a live tv interview i think it might have been with sporza in oh, for yeah, sports and yeah, all of her yeah. teammates come in from behind and photobombed the the interview um I thought that was really yeah. lovely. And, I mean, there's a, a cynical part of me that feels like SD Works worked really hard this year behind the scenes to portray themselves as a, a fun group of mates or whatever as a way <laughs> to combat the kind of Strata Bianchi, you know, infighting stuff and the kind of, hey, we're beating everybody, we still have to look approachable and fun kind of thing. But that moment to me was still pretty cool. I'll throw one more in to most wholesome moment. And that is Alison Jackson dancing after winning Paris-Roubaix. <laughs> and also, can anyone pick Gracie's favorite race? <laughs> also, Alison Jackson uh, doing her post-race interview when her teammates were coming through the, or even I think she was on the podium when um, a couple of them rode into the velodrome, and she was on the podium like waving at her teammates. Riding on the on the velodrome. <laughs> yeah. That was also <laughs> a really great moment. Um, uh, there's a for me. There's one more moment worth mentioning, and it's a photo that like is burned into my brain, and that's of Emma Norsgaard and La, um, Leanna Lippert after Emma won the stage of the tour, and they're like holding each other's faces, like screaming in each other's faces. And it's <laughs> such a great moment. And you forget that they've only been teammates for this year. Uh, that was, yeah, that was one of the top moments of the year for me, for sure. Um, all right. Pivotal change that will impact 2024. I had trouble with this one, but I just wrote Olympics question mark. Mm. That's not really a change per se, yeah, but it is say. something mm -hmm. different compared to this <laughs> season. So it's going to affect everything. I don't want to yeah. say that because I'm always the one harping on about the Olympics <laughs> and how it can impact the season so much. But yes, uh, I had that penciled down. I think um, Anna Meek's retirement is for me one of the yeah. biggest yeah. changes ahead of next year. Also and had that. Yeah, having not having Anna Meek in the peloton is going to make for some interesting dynamics and what that's going to do to Movistar, but what also what's that what that's going to do to the Giro. Giro is wide open for the first time in a really, really long time. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Movistar evolve into as well as a team. So, yeah, I think that they've really built their roster up nicely these last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it will, of course, be a hole in the team and the peloton without Anamique, but I think that they've got some emerging stars and they're going to be just fine. They might get more wins. For sure they will. Just think of all of the power that went towards Anamique's bids for 
tour domination this year, all of that mm. harnessed, let free for 2024. Best transfer of the 2023 season. I did clarify this one in the notes. I would say Weebus to mm. SD Works because she's bloody fast, but because it opened up the doors for Charlotte Cool, and how good was that battle royale a few times this season? Yeah, I said yep. the exact same thing. Um, I said Lorena Weebus, not only because she just seamlessly fit into the the team at SC Works like she'd been there her entire career, um, mm. but she also made for... She was on top of being like the winningest rider of the year, which I don't know, Matt might be, might fact check me on that. Um, I'm pretty sure she had the most wins of the season and also being an incredible teammate when it came time for the, the terrain to change the fact that she left DSM and, and DSM pivoted so well to having uh Charlotte cool be their sprinter. And also what that meant for riders like, um, fight for Georgie and Megan Jastrab. I think, yeah, her leaving that team and also joining SC works was made a huge impact on the season. Yeah. And one last point to that, cause I always had, I also had Lorena was um, her diversification as a rider. We knew she had the potential to climb super well and um, do well in the classics. But once she made that jump, I think that's what we were all thinking is basically what happened with Kapeki as well. When she went to SD Works, she just got stronger. And, um, you know, we always knew with Kapeki that she was going to be uh, the rider that could win any type of classic. But with Lorena, her climbing abilities this year, I think it didn't really shock anyone because we'd seen moments of it before when she was on DSM. So that was one more point. Weebus was the fourth most winningest rider this year. What? Yeah. That's the yep. fourth. Don't believe it. Demi was yep. the first. Demi, then Kapeki, but who was third? Have a guess. Yep. Charlotte? No. Yep. She won no. 13 races. Oh, really? Yeah, she won 13 and Weebus won 12. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I count that second place finish at the Giro as a win for Weebus, though. <laughs> the the stage we're on Amuka's solo and Weebus won up that climb, um, like that little mm-hmm. poppy climb. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I count that as a win. So I refuse to believe your <laughs> your fact checking. <laughs> Did anyone else have a have a best transfer for the year? Not as compelling as um, Weebus, but I think the promotion of Bound and Niedermeyer to the Kenyan SRAM World Tour team was a great one as well. Um, mm-hmm. Showed that that system and, and Lippert. Lippert as well across from DSM, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just the Kenyan SRAM uh, development pathways, obviously doing what it's supposed to, and uh, yeah, both of those riders got big wins this year, so. I thought that was a cool move. Yeah, definitely agree. All right. We're going to wrap up the end of year awards by looking ahead to 2024. Can't wait. Can't wait for it. What do we got? I go. And you're going to say the Olympics? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not actually. Wow. I'm going to say. She's going to say my answer, maybe. I reckon maybe Grace and I will say the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, and this is a prediction, which obviously I have no control over. <laughs> a lot of Kapeki winning Flanders in the, the stripes. Oh, yeah. Ooh. World Championship Ooh, stripes. Good one. That's a good one. That is a good one. Has anyone won three Flanders in a row? I don't think so. Hat trick. Not in women's no. racing. Yeah. I don't think in men's. 
Not sure. Hmm. Well, that'll be fun. Gracie? Um, it's close to Lauren's answer, but I'm just, I'm just more broad. Mm-hmm. I just, you know how much I love the classics. And the classics on an Olympic year is off chops. <laughs> it's going to be so good. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Every race yep. will be good. <laughs> yeah. Matt? No, they're very good Shab. answers. I'll add the Olympics. I think that's interesting. But um, Lippert at Movistar without Van Vluten, we've talked about that, but I think that'll be really cool. And a bunch of the younger riders mm-hmm. uh, that are continuing to develop. Excited to see that. And just more selfishly, I just can't wait for the Aussie races, as I mentioned at the start. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into those and actually being on the ground at some bike racing again. Um, I think for me, I wrote the Olympics. It's going to be a completely different race than we've ever seen in the past with the addition of... 26, 27, a a whole chunk of riders being added to the Peloton, um, in the, the bid for equality, uh, equity, whatever, um, uh, the same, same number of starters as the men's. So going from, I think we had 67 women start the road race in the past. We're going to have 90 for the first time ever. And, um, well, that is still too small a number for a professional Peloton. It is a massive improvement on what we've had in the past. And I think it's going to really shift the dynamic. Um, there's a lot of teams that have a different, that, that are going to have more riders. Uh, the number of teams that have three riders and the number of teams that have two riders has gone up. So that's definitely going to make for more predictable in a way, um, tactical race than we've seen in the past um still no radios so it's still going to be the the olympic chaos that we're used to but it's going to be a completely different olympics than we've ever seen and i am excited for that good shot should we should we wrap up the episode really quick with what we're obsessed with oh can i guess what yours is abby (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you're gonna be wrong though oh really you're saying there's a new taylor swift album out and you're not gonna say that's what you're obsessed with no because there's something else that i'm more obsessed with than that wow I am obsessed with it. It's phenomenal. Must be big. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So on Friday, I uh, the day of the release of 1989 Taylor's version, which is a absolute 13 out of 10 banger, no skip album. I dragged my sister, her partner, and my partner to the Eras Tour film, and it was two hours and 45 minutes of just heaven for me. Uh, Taylor Swift performing all of her greatest hits and it wasn't even the concert film that was the best part for me which I mean it was amazing all the costume changes all of the detail just like everything that she was able to accomplish in that two hours and 45 minutes is just wild and the fact that she cut like six songs for the film is just like blows my mind that she can perform for like three and a half hours straight but uh, we were in the theater with like a bunch of little girls, <laughs> like aged, I would say six to 14 and their moms. Um, there was like three or four groups of them and they, they were all dressed up. They all had like Taylor Swift, like the, the lover heart on their eye or like a <laughs> costume or something like that. And, um, they sang through the entire film they got up and danced in the aisles. They were just like having the time of their lives. And for multiple reasons, it, I was in tears like watching them and the film. But the 
the fact that she, Taylor Swift, has has had such a massive impact on my generation, but is still impacting little girls today uh, in a similar way or in a completely new way, I guess, in that they, she's really um, encouraged them to be loud and take up a lot of space. And I just absolutely love that. As someone who once stood up in a theater and sang an entire song, um, I it really spoke to me that, they were they were welcome to do that and i just yeah it was incredible to watch i loved it how was that received in the cinema were, were people happy for others mm. to be singing along or were there people complaining oh absolutely i i don't think was everyone singing everyone was everyone was singing and i think the fact that they took the initiative made me feel like i could also sing although i did sing under my breath um for fear of being <laughs> mocked by my husband but <laughs> um yeah. How does he go with going to That's a, what I was gonna a well, concert <laughs> film? He, <laughs> he did take me to repu- the Reputation Stadium tour tour as oh, a wow. gift. Yeah. So it is not the first time that he's seen a Taylor Swift concert, although the other one was in person. Um so he was totally fine with it. And he did know a couple of the songs. Although in his words, how could I not it's all you listen to? <laughs> Um, but <laughs> which is a lie. I listen to a lot of other music. You can check out the album files podcast everywhere podcasts. Yeah. Everywhere. Um, <laughs> but I, I, the, the best part of all of them dancing was that everyone loved it. Like there was no, no annoyance at all. And there was like a group of teenage girls sitting behind me and I thought that they would be, um, I don't know, laughing or something. But when I glanced backwards, they were standing standing up singing along as well. So I think everybody was, everyone knew what they were in for when they bought those tickets. And the fact that- I think you assume yeah. it's a safe space, right? Yeah, exactly. If like, you're going there to watch, like Gracie said, a concert, but in film. Yeah, <laughs> and Taylor Swift. I was That's really so impressed. Sweet. Like they knew all the it. lyrics to like the Fearless songs. I was like, they're not going to know the early stuff, but of course, like with the re-records, they do. Mm. Um, but there was even like a dad who'd brought his daughters, and he was wearing like an Eras Tour shirt. And I was just like, man, this is the coolest theater I've ever been in. <laughs> Have you got tickets to that tour? Because like. Has it been in Europe yet? Excuse my ignorance. Yeah, I have tickets to see her in Dublin in June and in Warsaw in Poland in August. Two times. Wow. All right. What are you guys obsessed with? I'll go first. first. I've just got a a short one. (laughs) Just a a small, uh, I guess, appreciation rather than obsession. Um, The other day I wrote a very silly and very niche article for Escape Collective about uh, some great members that we have uh, of the website who made a Dungeons and Dragons campaign uh, based on professional cycling, which to <laughs> me is like the most beautiful collision of worlds I could have imagined. Uh, getting to write about nerdy fantasy stuff um, <laughs> that's actually cycling related and that I get paid for. So getting to interview this guy who did that and um, write a story about Dungeons and Dragons meeting cycling was great and i'm very grateful that i have a platform to be able to do that but also very grateful for the response that it got because there's a lot of members that were um surprisingly happy to read about that and people that didn't even like dungeons and dragons thought it was cool and i just i don't know i thought that was really special to have a place 
that is ostensibly a cycling website that can write something that we can write something like that and it fits in fine because we do weird quirky stuff and for that to be well received and not laughed out of the building was um pretty gratifying so yeah just a small thing of appreciation for me that i that made me feel good it was a it's a great piece very yes awesome. <laughs> i loved it it's super nerdy have you seen the dungeons and dragons movie? i haven't i i will at some point um yeah, I haven't got around it. Because I'm sure if you're like a true fan, you have your own opinions, but I'm not a fan and I thought okay. it was great. I would recommend right. that movie. It's very entertaining. Awesome. I must check it out. <laughs> Gracie, what are you obsessed with? Ooh, um, lots at the moment, but I'll just throw in a, a light one. I watched a, um, a TV series called The Diplomat and it was actually surprisingly better than I was expecting. I thought it would just be like an easy watch, but I actually had to pay attention, and I like TV that I have to pay attention to because it means <laughs> I'm not on my phone. <laughs> and it was very clever, well-scripted, well-cast, bit of a, um, uh, a fly on the wall of what it might be like to be high up in American politics and espionage. So I, I like that stuff. Is that on Netflix or is that? Uh, I think it's Netflix, yep. Mine's also a little the the thing on Netflix. I haven't seen it passing by on the ads, but uh, Hannes and I watch two very different types of television. So if you go to his, like, Netflix, he'll get completely different suggestions to what you'd find <laughs> on mine. <laughs> so maybe I'll find it on mine. Um, <laughs> mine's also a bit like Matt's, like a, a appreciation obsession. Um thing it's just uh actually the podcast and this is our last one for a while and it's um we've been doing it a long time but it's just been yeah really special to be a part of um it's changed a bit over the past year but um it's great to still have like the cool group there and to have matt on board now who adds so much value um really appreciate you here and uh yeah for me just personally it's been a really good outlet oh lauren that's lovely. Mm, that's I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, I, I'm i like eternally grateful to the three of you, but specifically to, to you two, Lauren and Gracie, because you're not employed by Escape Collective <laughs> um, like Matt is. Matt has to be here. It's part of his job. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm so grateful to the two of you. I like I've said I said it a couple episodes ago, but I still need to pinch myself that I'm making a podcast with two writers that I looked up to so much in my career. Um, but it's yeah, I, I really like can't begin to stress how much this podcast um, has meant to me in the last couple years. And this year, I think that we've really found found a groove with with us three that's been really really special um so yeah i i echo that lauren definitely and can't wait to see what we get to talk about in 2024 mm, i think there'll be some exciting non-cycling hopefully related things as well just because we like to fuse in our personal lives mm -hmm. subtly here and <laughs> yeah. there sometimes I'm not so subtly what you're obsessed with coming <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> thanks you guys so much and thanks everyone for listening we'll be back in january to talk about 
the Aussie races. But in the meantime, I will still be making special podcasts. We've got some interviews on tap um, over the next two months in the members only feed, which you can find details of on the site and on my newsletter, the Wheel Talk newsletter. I might pull these two into a Q&A episode for that if, if, we, uh, if we can find the time. But we've got some great member questions. If you've got any questions for us, shoot them over on the Discord channel and I'll add them to the list. And uh, yeah, we might, we might do one of those later on in the winter. But if not, we'll be back. Talk about Tour Down Under. Well, Matt will be on the ground. Yeah, and Gracie. So jealous. Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll enjoy those episodes. We'll just be sitting in Europe, like, in the cold. <sighs> <sighs>